Welcome to Fifth Wall's Building to Zero podcast. The real estate industry is the world's single largest contributor to climate change. At Fifth Wall, we're on a mission to help the industry eradicate its carbon emissions and build to zero. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode, I catch up with Amy Davidson, the executive director of the Climate Group in North America. With over 20 years of banking experience, Amy shares her experience working in both a non-for-profit and also private sector capital markets. Enjoy the conversation. Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining. Where are you coming in from today? Well, I'm actually about two hours north of New York City on the um, border between uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York right now. Oh, nice. So it's snowy outside. (laughs) Well, I'd love to start just with your background. Um, and I guess both your experience, you know, in the Office of Environmental Affairs at J.P. Morgan Chase and kind of that, that banking sector experience, um, but then also how that informed what you now do at the Climate Group. So can you just kind of walk people through the arc of your career and how you came to the position you're in? Sure. Um, I mean, I definitely, I started out as a banker. So that really, I guess, is my career and absolutely loved it. But like early on, probably two two years in, I decided to go to a microcredit organization that did women's microcredit. And I realized that um, sort of brought me back to my core values because my inbox changed, you know, suddenly I'm not reading the Wall Street Journal and American Banker, but I'm looking at, you know, issues around bride burning in India and environmental issues. So that's sort of when it sort of triggered for me to sort of get back to, you know, the core values of, you know, this, you know, humans are uh, dependent upon a healthy environment if we're going to survive and certainly on a a, a stable climate if we're going to survive. So I decided I thought that my skill set really, I would be able to make greater change if I was back in the banking sector and try to make change that way. So I went back in um, and actually started, went from Chase into Manny Hanny, Manufacturers Hanover, like a name a lot of people probably don't even remember anymore in the banking sector and and merged my way through four or five mergers. Um, But the idea was to, you know, help the bank think about, it wasn't my primary job, but I really wanted as a side thing to really get the bank to start thinking about the impact the banking industry had on the environment as well as the climate. Um, And so over, you know, a a series of years, I I was finally able to convince the board and the executive management to create the Office of Environmental Affairs and really to be able to look at the risks as well as the opportunity side that was available to the bank if we really, you know, got ahead of this issue rather than was sort of a fast follower and and behind it. So that's sort of the, the quick of where I sort of have been. And then during the financial crisis, um, I also um, had a young child at the time. So needed to figure to let me just take some time off because I didn't think the bank would be moving as quickly as one would hope. Um, And then I ended up at the Climate Group, which is a not-for-profit that it really hadn't been around that long. But the key goal of the Climate Group um, was, you know, that this, that addressing climate change was an economic opportunity. And that really spoke to me. Um, so that's exactly the idea that 
business is part of the solution, right? They're not the enemy. <laughs> you know, they're going to be part of the solutions. So we're not going to get where we need to go in this massive transition of how we look at how we power and consume energy without business being the core part of it. So that's sort of my my core my core focus. And in the climate group, we, you know, we're working with both businesses as well as subnational governments. So those that have the ability to make change now rather than waiting necessarily for legislation, um, but they can make voluntary commitments now to begin to move the needle and, and send market signals that this is the direction that we need to go. And so I imagine a big part of that obviously is collaboration between the public sector and the private sector. And I guess when, when you think about where we are with respect to private sector capital markets, how would you characterize or how would you kind of uh, rate, I guess, where we are today with respect to sustainable finance? So, I mean, obviously every financial institution is in a different like place. I think we're just on this cusp of this major pivot. I think, you know, People refer to the 2018 IPCC report, which talked about 1.5 degrees Celsius risk um, as, as a key moment of a wake-up call for folks, because in there it talked about not only the risks if we don't achieve 1.5, but also looking at the opportunity from an investment side too. So I think that moment was really um, very helpful I think the banks, um, investors are sort of all this movement that's been happening sort of since that moment. I mean, obviously earlier, but it began to even accelerate even, even further was, was really critical, but not everybody is where we need to be. It's not where we need to be. Um, and that's why right now this, this moment is key. I think some of the banks are, um, are moving that way. And certainly have the signals, but they're not completely all in because they have so many customers, right? It's such a diverse portfolio of customer bases that are facing different risks and, of course, opportunities that they're not necessarily fully embedding uh, climate risk and climate opportunity yet. But, I'm, but obviously, they're great signs of progress being made, but we're not quite there yet. And when you think about kind of the, the vectors of change, you know, one of the the those vectors that we focus a lot on is how do we get one industry, the real estate industry, to invest in the technologies that can actually bring the industry to a carbon zero future. And we've, as we were talking about before this call, we've been underwhelmed, right? With the, the pace, the volume, the intensity of investment activity on the real estate industry side with respect to new technologies. And Part of what it seems like we are confronting there is a collective action, which is any individual real estate owner doesn't really have a strong incentive to do something they haven't done previously, i.e. invest in decarbonization technologies. I guess when you look at now many different industries, especially financial industries, what are the best approaches that you've seen to overcoming that kind of collective action and collective inertia. Um, what has galvanized change meaningfully? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, sort of going back to just the, the role of business, right? We can't forget that within business, there are, it's made of individuals, right? So um, you almost have to have that collective action within a, within a company as well as collective action within an industry. Um, I think, 
certainly information is obviously key. Um, I think probably a lot of these sectors that we're talking about that are at the greatest risk that you and I can see, but also with the greatest opportunity, the, the information about the uh, severity <laughs> of climate change is not really getting to them, that they're not really able to you know, connect the dots yet. Um, and I, I think that's just a bigger hurdle that we need to address at some point. And then, you know, to your point that, you know, each individual company or real estate owner probably just hasn't felt like, well, they need to do it, or maybe it's, you know, somebody else's problem, but everybody needs to act, right? And certainly those that are not moving at pace that's needed are going to be left behind. And, you know, we're seeing that, you know, also from the stakeholders, right? You've got, you've got investors moving at a much faster pace with much greater awareness, even though we still don't have maybe all the disclosure that investors need, they, they're getting enough signals that they, they know the direction that this is going, but you'd have tenants in the real estate business, right? We, we have initiatives where we have um, in partnership with the World Green Building Council for companies to commit to net zero buildings. So even if they're a tenant, they're going to require that of of their um, landlord to, you know, be as efficient and get to net zero, or they're going to find another company or another location for them to um, settle. Uh, you know, so there are lots of different factors that that are are going to drive people to make the change. But collectively, is so important because the learning is going to be so fast paced right now. So I think collective action is key. Um, that's one of our core tenets is the peer learning, right? That when you're in this together and you're learning together as an industry, you can move much faster. You know, each individual right. isn't gonna, it's not each individual company can't move at the pace that the industry itself can move together. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of one of the things we've tried to highlight is, you know, what what, what actually is profound is that, you know, in the case of the real estate industry, if every real estate owner were committing actually a relatively small portion of their net asset value or a relatively small portion of their net operating income or revenue, however you parameterize it, the actual individual contributions are quite small. But what kind of is imperative is to kind of um, create this like philosophical mindset shift that what we did yesterday, what we have done historically, which is we own buildings. Those buildings are not efficient. That's unfortunate, but we're real estate owners. That's what we do. Um, and our landlords are paying for that cost. It's often right. Correct. And 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 there is a there is a um, there is a kind of, kind of a virtuous cycle there, which is that if the tenant doesn't really care, the landlord doesn't really care. And right. we, we've seen the seeds of that changing, right? As you mentioned, with some very progressive, environmentally forward tenants saying we have environmental standards that are very clear and we want our suppliers, which includes the real estate industry, to adhere and abide by those standards. But we're not seeing enough of it. But I guess one of the things is, you know, what really is required is to reconceptualize what it means to be a real, a real estate owner and to internalize the externalities of the operations of your business at both an economic level and probably an ethical one as well. Um, how have you seen other industries do that? Meaning like, have you seen industries that just did something different um, that was so atypical and non-traditional and unconventional with how they had historically operated? And I'm curious what can be learned from that experience and applied to the real estate industry. But just going back to real estate for a second, because I mean, 
real estate at fixed assets that are at the greatest physical risk. I mean, most of them are, right? Not only from extreme weather, but sea level rise. So that industry should be more aware than ever in terms of some of the other sectors. Obviously there are other ones, but it should be at the top level of awareness, real estate, just because they have the physical risk coming in. We've got the insurance, right? One One would think. One would think that there's kind of a, there's a poetic and kind of a, there's a poetic justice to the fact that the real estate industry, which is responsible for 30% of the world's energy consumption, 30% of the world's CO2 emissions, and 40% of all raw materials is definitionally the most exposed industry to material adverse climate changes. Like that, that is, there's something elegant, ethically elegant about that reality. However, what we have not seen is that the real estate industry has embraced that at a, at a financial or activity oriented level, meaning that's there, these imminent existential threats are impending, but no actions are being taken. And I guess, I'm curious, like, have you seen those, those, um, have you seen those mindset, mind, mindset shifts take root in meaningful ways in other industries? Well, certainly in, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely other industries, particularly those that have the global supply chain. And obviously, I mean, real estate, obviously the big real estate companies, they've got footprints around the world. And those are, of course are the ones that are doing more than probably many in the very large um, sector um, because they probably experienced it. But but companies that have global supply chains, you know, they've been hit by the extreme weather and they've got examples of where severe business disruption has occurred because of the extreme weather. Um, And so like the apparel industry, you know, looks very closely at their supply chain and understanding that they need to find a way that they sort of future-proof that supply chain. So they've been able to, I mean, there's obviously more to do, right? And anything, there's always more to do everywhere that we talk about. Um, So I, I think that's certainly the case. I mean, certainly the tech industry, you know, has gone in deep on this because they recognize it's critical for them, certainly from a um, energy point of view, because they do use a tremendous amount of energy that they've got to be uh, driving that energy with clean renewables. Um, so, you know, there has been a mind shift change. I think it might be a little different in real estate just because it's, it's a dispersed I mean, you've got the leaders, right. And, but then you've got a lot of private family owned real estate companies too. So it's just a very dispersed era area um, and probably a little harder to break through. But again, part of our sort of theory of change is work with those leaders who can go out first that have the capital, the, in, you know, the ingenuity, the innovation and the resources to be piloting things, to be making the change, to be investing in the technologies that they need and then be sharing that, that they need to be the leaders to share it across their industry and take on that role. Um, as, as an industry leader, that's critical. And, you know, the real estate industry, obviously, as a cost of capital driven business, um, seems especially uh, influenceable by virtue of changes in capital markets, right? Like the most commercial real estate assets are just, as I think about them, physically instantiated bonds, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have kind of a fixed cash flow generation, and they're typically levered and financed with both debt and equity. And at least pre-COVID, there was a predictability in terms of demand for different different asset classes of real estate. 
But what we've seen is that capital markets have, you know, have clearly and resoundingly said, we will preferentially deploy capital to low or no carbon footprint real estate. And, you know, Larry Finkletter was kind of one shot over the bow, I think, at the real estate industry. Um, and we're seeing it in large sovereigns and buyers of REIT equities and real estate debt. And even now it's reflecting insurance premiums. Um, but I guess one of the challenges, there's no standard of measure. Uh, so there's no equalized, normalized way of, you know, almost... Um, comparing real estate owner operator developers apples to apples. How do you think we can get towards that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important. I feel like there are there are a few initiatives underway to do that. And as we can see, even in the financial services, right, there isn't still a standard way um, uh, across how are we going to be measuring the like the ESG, et cetera. Um, and there are like three or four different sort of competing versions of that. So trying to standardize it is, is really important. Again, I, I, I really think the industry themselves should be the leaders. I mean, just like the task force on um, climate-related disclosure for, for the financial in industry, you know, that the real estate industry really needs to come together to figure out how are we going to do this that's going to be transparent, useful for our investors, useful for our tenants, um, and in, you know, in, in certain jurisdictions, certainly buildings are gonna have their, you know, a rating, on, you know, on the exterior of the building. So you know what, you know, the, the level of efficiency that, that they are and how they're operating. So there'll be a little bit more transparency. And I think just the industry needs to push for the tr that transparency and realize it's gonna actually be better for them in the end. And as you've seen kind of, um as you've seen kind of capital markets, right, embrace this change, how much of that is driven by leadership? So kind of firms like BlackRock, and I guess, how do we create, you know, how do we create that same uh, drive and ambition in other large capital allocators? Because it's not true universally. I think it's, it's true increasingly, but we, we've only seen a few really hallmark examples of large capital allocators embracing sustainable finance. I, I agree. And, and they might say like they're doing it, you know, they're doing it. But what's really important to your point is what Larry Fink did is he sent that letter. People read the letter and it's heard. And I think, you know, you can be a leader and some people think, think it's okay to be a quiet leader. That's fine. But we need public vocal leaders making the case, making the economic case for why we need to do the, make these investments. Um, so absolutely agree with you that that's sort of a key pivot point. And I don't think we hear enough of the bold voices from the capital markets that we should. I feel like Larry's sort of out there on his own at the moment and more should be you know, rallying around making this case um, for everybody's to everybody to hear, especially their customers. So just shifting gears a little bit, you know, obviously we just have, we just left or we just exited probably the most environmentally regressive uh, or kind of almost um, almost adversarial administration that 
That's almost. That was yeah. not an almost. That was a, a ad, an adversarial administration when it comes to climate and the environment. Absolutely. And, and, and the inflection seems really stark because now it appears by all public statements that the Biden-Harris administration should be one of the most environmentally progressive administrations. I'd be really curious to get your perspective on what is the best case scenario? for the Biden-Harris administration with respect to sustainable finance? And what's the worst case? What's the bear case scenario? Where and where, how, and why could it go wrong? Uh, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I just think, I wanted to say that I think this administration is bringing on a team that is so competent, they're experienced, they're thoughtful and what a breath of fresh air to have that in the way that they're embedding climate sort of throughout the administration. You know, I think President Biden is realistic to know we can't go from, you know, zero to a hundred, right, overnight. I mean, they have fabulously come out of the gate in the, in the place where, you know, people are thrilled, right, to just rejoin the Paris Agreement, which is critical because the U.S. has a role to play not only at home, but of course in the international um, negotiations and in international diplomacy. Um, so I, I'm very optimistic that the, the administration will come through with a strong, like the first thing we have to do is come up with our new nationally determined contribution under the Paris Agreement. So that's going to send that signal of where the U.S. needs to go by 2030, right, which is basically cutting emissions, you know, somewhere in half. That's sort of the global goal. And then to get to net zero by, by 2025. So I feel optimistic they're going to move in that direction. I think the key thing is for the administration is to be able to message it and bring everybody along about the economic opportunity, the jobs creation, and that by investing in climate solutions, we're going to create a better, a better um, economy for the U.S., better lives for people. I mean, you you know this better, you know as as well as I do that these are actually better products, right? Life gets better, right? LED lighting, you know, so I, we've talked about LED lighting for so long, but a sim simple thing. It's obviously a huge, you know, fifty to seventy percent greater um, energy efficiency, and and even and more these days. And it's so cool and it creates a better, it's a better product. You don't have to worry about changing a bloody light bulb, you know, and climbing on a ladder. And there's also so many benefits to it as well as just the color and tone that, you know, can be done. So very sort of simple things like that, um, you know, with electric vehicles, right? Better car. <laughs> it's a better car than an internal combustion engine. And I just think this administration has to make sure that the message is right for all of the U.S. to hear. And then it's going to be much easier to get the policies that we need to support our goal to get to the 2030 goal and then get to the 2050 goal. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, Anyway, I, I, I just always enjoy these kind of conversations because I feel like increasingly we are at this collision of where kind of the, the climate crisis and financial and capital markets are colliding and yeah. the ability of the influence of those capital markets to change policy and to change the actions of large corporations is very material and sometimes less obvious 
right than some of the other initiatives that, that are frequently talked about. So it, it's just yeah. great to get your perspective on all this. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a moment too, just this moment is businesses will need to step forward to ensure that the policies are put in place. I mean, this, you know, businesses sort of held back a little bit on public policy in their role. They're really going to need to be stepping forward now and they can't sit on the sideline or sort of hide behind a trade association or et cetera. They just really need to be, be engaged if we're going to be successful. Um, and we're obviously all in this together and it's not going to be easy, right? But if we're talking and we're working with each other, we can figure it out. Absolutely. Well, Amy, it's, it's great to get your thoughts and thank you so much for sharing them with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Brendan. Really nice. That, I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Building to Zero. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.